All right, Wayibu, Wayibu, uh, and Young. It's Grant Lee Saunders uh, on Deadly Dangerous Voices. This is our second episode on a program that I just dreamt up just recently in response to, I guess, what we call the propaganda that's being issued from uh, the ABC, the National Broadcaster, in supporting the Yes 23 campaign in the upcoming referendum scheduled for 14th of October. And as promised, I want to use this uh, program as a platform for unpopular voices, perhaps dangerous voices, who knows. When I say dangerous, I mean uh, dissenting voices that steer people away from the common narrative, I guess. Um, so it is dangerous to uh, the Yes23 campaign. And so this week I have been blessed to have another deadly voice uh, by the name of Kieran Stewart Asherton. Weebu Bingai, which is hello brother. Uh, and, and first of all, um, I just want to pay respects to my own people from where this podcast is coming from in Biripa country and also acknowledge other Indigenous people who will be listening, elders past and present, including uh, my guest this week. So I'll give you the opportunity to um, shout out to uh, people on country and from for your own mob. Yeah, Wallawani Grant. So, um, yeah, my name is Kieran. I'm the National President of the Black People's Union. I'm also a traditional owner from Wandian country down in the UN Nation, which is on the south coast of what's now known as New South Wales. I'm currently living down in Nam, though, down in Melbourne on the lands of the Kulin people. And, yeah, I just want to give them a shout out and acknowledge that, you know, I am living on stolen occupied land. And, you know, I am a guest down here in the Kulin Nation, um, down here on their country. And, you know, I want to pay my respects to them and acknowledge their struggle, as well as the struggle of all our people right across this continent. The reason I'm a communist is because, you know, those community values and those values of, you know, benefiting the community over the individual are values that very much align with our culture. Um, but, yeah, there is a lot of history here on this continent um, in regards to communism and the Indigenous rights struggles, a lot of history that people aren't aware of. So, you know, one good example I like to bring up is the Ten Embassy. You know, many many people don't understand the connection between the Communist Party and the Ten Embassy, for example. But it was the Communist Party up in Sydney who actually drove those followers down to Canberra to first set up the Ten Embassy. And, you know, it was them who brought them that umbrella that they first set up as the embassy. And it was the Communist Party who provided them with, at the time, the equivalent of a month's worth of wages to, you know, help get that up and running. Um, there was communists in many other of our struggles and actions as well. You know, the one white person with a camera on the freedom rides back in the day was, again, a photographer from the Communist Party. Yep. And, you know, even stuff like the, the Pilbara strike and, you know, the um, Gringy walk-off, you know, heavily supported by the Communist Party financially and materialistically. The Black People's Union, you're the president of this union. Tell us... Um... What is the platform for BPU? Yeah, so um, we've got a bit of a varied approach, I suppose you could say. Um, originally, we started off hoping to become a trade union who could represent the specific interests that Indigenous workers suffer that, you know, the broader working class might not experience. Um, and, you know, in that trade unions might not be properly able to capture in their, you know, in their advocacy. 
and their support of the working class. But I suppose, you know, we realise at the end of the day that our issues um, are spread right across the entire spectrum of society. It's not just something that exists within workplaces or within the government or within education or any individual sphere. It exists everywhere, right across the board. So we needed to be an organisation that could effectively combat this in every aspect of society. What we envision at the end of the day is that we would get to a point where we could be the vanguard for meaningful change and revolution here in this continent. And we could, you know, have any sort of working movement that would come forward from the contradictions that we're all suffering under could be First Nations led first and foremost. So at the end of the day, the primary contradiction here in Australia is colonisation. Colonisation is what underpins capitalism here, it's what underpins the entire exploitation and oppression of the working class, black or white. Yeah, you, you talk about colonisation and that's a word that, uh, you know, a lot of people would be familiar with, but they would connect that with uh, first settler colonisation, so colonisation of the country uh, from Britain. The colonisation of the continent, you know, very much still ongoing even today. Um, even, you know, the frontier wars are very much still ongoing today. The only difference is the mode of skirmish has changed. So 150 years ago, we had white colonialists going out and committing genocide on our people in the form of massacres and, you know, wiping out entire clan groups. Today, we still have these same levels of violence present in our society. They just changed that mode of skirmish where instead of targeting one individual clan at a time, they're picking out individuals here, there and everywhere right across the continent and still committing that same level of genocide. In fact, committing even greater levels of genocide today. You know, one example is the stolen generation. We talk about the stolen generation being something historical and in the past and that, you know, ended back in 69 or the early 70s. But today we have more children being removed than at any point ever in the last 235 years of history. And that number only goes up every single year. And it's gone up every single year since Kevin Rudd gave an apology back in 07. And even back then in 07, our child removal rates were higher than during the official stolen generation policies. And it's not just, you know, stolen children, it's incarceration rates. Our incarceration rates are constantly going up. Our deaths in custody rates are constantly going up with them. We have got issues like the Australian Navy polluting indigenous waterways with chemicals like PFAS causing massive spikes of cancer in Indigenous communities, such as my own Indigenous community of Rec Bay, where we're suffering from this problem now, and we have massive spikes of cancer and birth defects and sterility and all sorts of horrible health issues as a direct result of the Navy poisoning our water supply. You know, these aren't historical incidences. These are very much happening right now today. We are still living under colonisation today. You know, our native title and our land rights are still being extinguished today. We fight hard to get back the most tokenistic and most measly form of you know, ownership in the form of native title and land rights. But after all that said and done and after all that fight and all that struggle, the government can turn around on behalf of a mining company and extinguish our land rights and our native title and allow full access to some foreign corporation to come in, steal our natural resource and profit billions of dollars by leaving our own people suffering and homeless on their own country. How can Australians understand why Aboriginal people want land rights, why Aboriginal people want reparations, why people want uh, self-determination? To fathom those things, Australians really know need to know the truth first. So 
Let's get on to now, I guess, starting with the Uluru Statement of the Heart. Do you think that those three recommendations that came out of that uh, conference are good enough? Definitely not. And look, there's a few things I just want to quickly touch on in regards to this point. We had 13 regional dialogues in the lead up to the Ilara Convention. Earlier in the year, there was a freedom of information request that released the information that, um, you know, what was spoken about at these regional dialogues. We went through as the BPU, it's something like a 140 page document, but we went through it with a fine tooth comb and we actually looked at what MOB actually did ask for at those regional dialogues. And what's being proposed in the Uluru Statement is not at all what MOB asked for. Nobody at any of these regional dialogues asked for a powerless advisory body. Instead, what was asked for was stuff like designated seats in parliament. What was asked for was, you know, bodies that had veto power and had the power to um, bring forth their own legislation and their own legislative amendments. And, you know, what was asked for was a proper international treaty. And at the Alara Convention, what actually happened was you had the Referendum Council come in with this statement pretty much already drawn up, right? They offered it to the mob there and said, this is what's on the table, this is what's on offer, you can take it or you can leave it. There was none of this nonsense that's been pushed in the media about, you know, this is a call from mob that mob came up with. Mob didn't come up with this. The referendum came up with this and offered it to mob as a take it or leave it once in a lifetime opportunity. Now, even at the Yalara Convention as well, you know, other things we need to consider is that there was 250 people here, but they didn't all come, well, there was a bit more than 250, but there was 250 signatories of the Uluru Statement. Now, these people didn't actually come from every single nation across Australia. There were many nations that were completely skipped and missed and didn't have any sort of representation at the Yulara Convention or any sort of signatories for the Uluru Statement. Same with the regional dialogues. You know, we had 13 regional dialogues for 250 nations. They came to something like 5% of our nations and this is supposed to be some great feat of consultation for our people. And it's not that at all. But um, yeah, back to the Yulara Convention, you know, they they handpicked and invited select people to come to the Yulara Convention. And you've got people like Megan Davis um, at the press club on record, giving a speech, bragging about how they deliberately excluded staunch radical grassroots activists from coming to the Yulara Convention. But, you know, despite that um, exclusion, you know, we still had mob who made their own way there and managed to get in. And even some of the mob that were invited to be there in the first place walked out in complete opposition. You know, they walked out in protest about what was happening and the fact that this was a top-down offer and there was no consultation involved. What I find frustrating about this whole referendum is that it, it just shouldn't be in the first place because it is divisive it's further dividing our people and it's dividing australia the voice tell us like what you think of the voice as the first thing the first cab off the rank this isn't the first time that this has come up you know this is something like the fourth um attempt at pushing this constitutional recognition um you know at first there was a recognized campaign then they had the UME unity campaign there was some other campaign whose name I've forgotten, but you know, that one only briefly reared its head before it was shut down by mob. Now, this is the fourth attempt that the government has pushed at trying to give us this constitutional assimilation. But the way they've done it this time is they've wrapped it up in this pretty little Trojan horse of a voice. But if you actually boil it down and you actually look at the powers 
of this voice advisory body, we see that it's not worth the paper that it's written on. You know, it can only give representations on select issues. Now, to put that into perspective, any individual or any organisation in Australia can give representations to Parliament on any single issue. The voice will only be able to give the same representations, but unlike everybody else in Australia, it will only be able to give representations on select issues that the Parliament gives them authority and approval to beforehand. So it's literally taking power away from us instead of giving us any sort of power. But they've wrapped it up in this you know, neat little propaganda of it's an empowering incremental step First Nations people when the stark reality is it's actually a step backwards that takes power away from us. Yeah, people like Mal- Michael Mansell have said that have equated it to, you know, putting notes through the window of Parliament and hoping, you know, Parliament takes them on board. Uh, my <laughs> argument, my argument all along has been that this racist power, this race power in the Constitution that will still exist, Section fifty one twenty six. So it was the thing that was invoked by uh, the Howard government in two thousand and seven to suspend the Anti Racial Discrimination Act in order to target Aboriginal people only because they were seen as you know rampant child molesters and uh, deviants and you know, alcoholics, like, you know, Australia doesn't have an alcohol problem and domestic violence is just isolated to Aboriginal people alone. But the virtue of the race power allows this government to uh, trump any advice that has been given in the past because we have, like you said, we've had advisory bodies and they're saying that this voice being enshrined in the constitution will stop any government from shutting it down but the fact of the matter is it's it's a like a radio frequency really that the government can tune into or not <laughs> isn't that right yeah exactly and you know what that's another misrepresentation as well constitutional enshrinement does not guarantee that the voice body will continue to exist at the end of the day the constitution is not a bill of rights It's not a bill of responsibilities for the government. Just because something's in the constitution doesn't mean you have the right to it and doesn't mean the government has a responsibility to enact it. All it means is the government can choose to, if they want, work within that scope of power and introduce that. So there's absolutely no guarantee that constitutional enshrinement will guarantee any sort of authority or longevity to any sort of advisory body. You have talked about um, Albanese's recent move to ban alcohol in Alice Springs uh, as a response to uh, the violence that has uh, played out there. Again, going back to the race power, this is something that was invoked by the Albanese government to target Aboriginal people only again. First off, see that race power. You know, Australia is the only constitution in the world that has a specific section that allows their federal parliament to make race-specific laws. We're the only constitution that has a race power in it. Like, that's how racist and how toxic this constitution is. But, you know, going back to Albanese, all we have to do is look at his election promises and his election campaigns and look what's what's happened since he's come into office to see that we cannot trust him to support our issues. One of his election promises was that he would end the Northern Territory intervention. Earlier this year, he not only renewed it, he further concretized it and he rolled it out even further. Another one of his election promises was that he would end the cashless welfare card. 
again, earlier this year, he didn't end the cashless welfare card. He rolled it out into even more Indigenous communities. A couple of weeks ago, we had the Queensland Labor government suspend their Human Rights Act so that they could lock up 10-year-old little black kids in adult watchtowers and adult holding cells indefinitely. But this is the sort of, you know, I'm using my air quotes here, but, you know, the sort of progression that we see under Labor. It's not progressive at all. It is very regressive and it is very harmful to First Nations communities. And, you know, a sad fact, Labor, and this is not an endorsement of the Liberals in any way, but Labor, when it comes to Indigenous issues, is worse than the LNP. If we go and we look at the stats of Aboriginal people under Labor governments versus LNP governments, we see that our stats are actually worse under Labor governments than they are under Liberal governments. They implement all of these dodgy policies and all of these dodgy programs that don't help us, they actually hurt us. And, you know, they do stuff like they go and put funding into bail laws and repeals of bail laws. But the repeals that they create and, you know, the new legislation that they create around bail laws actually further impacts mob and it sets mob up to fail. And it means that our incarceration rates continue to rise. You know, same with our child removal. They go and implement all these dodgy policies and all these dodgy programs as a part of family and community services. And then all that happens as a result is more of our children are removed from their families and from their country and placed into the custodianship of somebody else. You know, that's the sort of impacts that we see under Labor. And for other issues like, you know, mining, land rights, etc., they're indistinguishable. Liberal, Labor, exactly the same when it comes to blowing up our sacred sites and stealing our natural resources. No difference between them. Right on that that uh, issue right there, the the Yes23 campaign is supported, is funded with millions and millions of dollars from people like Rio Tinto, who in 2020 were responsible for bulldozing over Junkanjot Gorge and just went and desecrated it, uh, annihilated it, got rid of it. So why should we um, support or trust a campaign that is being funded by uh, major corporations like this. Exactly, and not just funded, but we actually have executives from BHP, from Woodside Petroleum, and from West Farmers sitting on the board of the Yes23 campaign and sitting on the referendum council alongside former Liberal ministers and Liberal staffers. Like, these are the people that are actually behind this. And, yeah, like we're saying, you know, they're funding the Yes campaign. The same people who profit billions of dollars of blowing up our sacred sites are funding a voice to parliament. Now, why would they do that if this voice to parliament had any sort of power to protect our sacred sites or to reduce the oppression and exploitation of our people and our lands? You know, quite simply, they wouldn't. It'll be a horrible business decision for them to put funding into something that could impact their profits, and they would not do it at the end of the day. They've all put in at least $2 million each into the Yes23 campaign. And, you know, they've got executives sitting on the boards and sitting on the campaigns and pushing it all. Let's wrap it up because I'm on a budget Zoom Zoom thing. Yeah, I've yeah. only got two and, a, and then close to Wait, three can minutes I say left. One more thing? Yes, I want, I want you to say, like, I just want you to sort of wrap it up and talk about yeah. um, what the solutions are. So what we see as a way forward is to stop indulging in these neoliberal reforms that will only impact us. And instead, we need to be imaginative. We need to take the initiative 
and we need to come up with our own solutions. And we need to create a mass movement across the continent of both black and white workers who can come together to demand better for the entire working class and to actually create real progress for us. And we've got less than a minute. Let's let like just yeah. light light on a light note. Uh, the Voice campaign uh, employed John Farnham's "You're the Voice." Try and understand it in the campaign. What are your thoughts on that? It's just propaganda. You know, they're finding all these famous people to be the faces of their campaigns, but at the end of the day, they're not listening to mob and they're not helping mob. It's just a feel-good exercise for non-Indigenous Australians. Thanks, my brother. Hey. No worries. Keep having hey. Marungbo Gapo, which is thank you and goodbye. Uh, love to have you on the show again at some stage. Yeah, sounds good. Address this pain caused by years of government abuse and neglect. And what the heck? Huh? They're now coming to break our necks. Yeah, and something needs to be done for the innocence of the children. How about the answers? Not with a gun or military intervention. Government desperate for re election. This is some of us, our big picture stuff. Education, drug, and health, mental rehabilitation. Come on, spread your wealth and not your stealth. And bring back the bones to the graves that you robbed it while you at it. Why don't you give my brother a job? The PM's gonna save us. I send the cops and the military. Maybe that's just because I look white And this helps me to survive your system oh, I came to raise a fist in No longer a victim of your racism No longer a victim of your racism No, no, no Cause I'm a curry with an attitude Coming to pay some Fucking gratitude off all the poison blankets and the poison food for taking the children away when they have nothing to say to stop your abuse. Order, order, we're suffering post traumatic stress disorder. And the thugs in blue and red fern farm island, you know the truth. I get in the way with murder. I murder, I murder. The PM's gonna save us. I send the cops and the military to believe us. The PM's gonna save us. I send the cops in the military. How do we hear us? How do we hear Our community's been stranded for too damn long 
And even though we issued report after report, we're still singing the same song. If you want to protect us, then take the fucking thugs out of uniform. If you want to save us, then lock up the pedophiles, both black and white. Yeah, I'm just getting warm. And you say that it's all our fault, that we've got the problem. But until you fix racism, you're never gonna solve them. <laughs> you're never gonna solve them. Racism, maintaining segregation. Racism, keeping us welfare waiting. Racism, are keeping the anti-intervention. Racism, are keeping us uneducated. Racism, are keeping us incarcerated. Racism, our cops continually escaping the law. What the fuck is it here for? I said, what the fuck is it here for? The PM's gonna save us. I send the cops in the military. Yeah, the PM gonna save us. Not our PM gonna save us.